0: talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way, it might be really good. Wow.
1: Dr. David Banner, physician, scientist, searching for a way to tap into the hidden
0: strengths that all humans have. Then an accidental overdose of gamma radiation alters his body chemistry. And now when David Banner grows angry or outraged, a startling metamorphosis occurs.
1: driven by rage and pursued by an investigative reporter. Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry.
0: The creature is wanted for a murder he didn't commit. David Banner is believed to be dead, and he must let the world think that he is dead until he can find a way to control the raging spirit that dwells within him. Hello and welcome to it's good except it sucks. A movie by movie and television series by television series hurtles through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time, we're stepping outside the Marvel Cinematic Universe and into the multiverse for a look at The Incredible Hulk, broadcast by CBS between 1977 and 1982, and then again between 1988 and 1990, as part of a sort of intended Marvel Television Universe that never really took off. Technically, this means it takes place between Foggy Nelson's father opening Nelson's Meats and Isaiah Bradley being released from wherever it was the government were holding him. And then, again, somewhere between Kilgrave being abandoned by his parents and John Garrett becoming the first Deathlock and, you guessed it, there's absolutely no crossover with any of them. I'm Tim Worthington and we'll be finding out what I thought of The Incredible Hulk shortly. Meanwhile, joining me to give his thoughts on The Incredible Hulk is writer Gary Bainbridge. Gary, where can people find you?
1: Oh, I'm always on Twitter. Gary underscore Bainbridge. I'm always on Twitter. I'm on Twitter so much. I'm on Twitter more than Elon Musk.
0: Okay, so before we go any further, and I can't believe I'm asking this, Gary, what happens in The Incredible Hulk?
1: Uh, Well, what happens in The Incredible Hulk? Well, I've recently watched the pilot because I haven't watched that for many, many, many years. And in the pilot... Dr. David Bruce Banner is a physician, scientist, who tries to tap into the strength that lies within us all. But then one day, an accidental gamma radiation overdose alters his body chemistry. And now when Dr. David Banner becomes angry or outraged, a startling metamorphosis occurs. And he turns into Leuphariton. And that's basically what happens. And then, you know, that's the Hulk. You've seen the Hulk. Everyone's seen the Hulk.
0: Well, yes, which makes my usual second question with this a bit different. And we already know what you knew about the Hulk before you saw the Hulk on screen because you did the episode on the MCU, The Incredible Hulk, which is a whole other story in its own. So, Gary, when you first saw this, what did you think of it in relation to the Hulk as you knew him from the comics?
1: I remember when they were bringing out the Hulk, I remember seeing, you know, adverts and trailers and what have you for this new Incredible Hulk TV show that was coming on television. I remember thinking, why are they making a TV series about a baddie? Because whenever I saw the Hulk in the comics, he was always an antagonist. He was always fighting the Avengers or he was fighting the Fantastic Four, beating up Thing And I just thought, you know, he was just sort of this monster who occasionally appeared and was aware that, you know, he changed into a man and that kind of stuff. But, you know, I was very young at the time. The only thing I did think was a bit weird about this show is that Hulk talks all the time in the comic books, but in the TV show, all he does is roar and I thought that seemed a bit of a waste but okay, I'll, I'll go with it.
0: Yes, there was a story behind him not talking which we'll come back to but it's worth saying from the outset because obviously we've already talked on here about the amazing Spider-Man and the Doctor Strange pilot and obviously the Captain America pilots as well and Human Torch, one they never made which, you know, although Spider-Man was massive it couldn't really sustain that and the others didn't really take off. This was huge! In fact, I wonder if it was even bigger over here because one thing that I mainly associate with it is Lou Ferrino. I mean, I don't think Bill Bixby really kind of embraced the celebrity side of it, but Luferino was always on things like Game for a Laugh or he was profiling <coughs> the TV Times. You know, you turn over the page for Bruce Forsyth with the chef's hat on, making something out of leftovers, and there's <laughs> the Incredible Hulk in his incredible home see the man behind the green as he really looks and he'd be doing that you know kind of arms outstretched, shrugging thing in this well-appointed room with a big hi-fi he seemed to be a really big draw over here and i do wonder if it slightly had the edge in the uk
1: yeah that's very possible it certainly is one of those shows that i suppose because it was on prime time in this country it was just one of those things that really got into the public consciousness you know you get a lot of, it could like to Russ Abbott or, or Benny Hill, or those sorts of characters would do their take-offs of the Incredible Hulk. You know, they'd paint themselves green and go around in ripped shirts. And it was just one of those things everybody kind of knew who the Hulk was.
0: And I think that's something that's persisted because one thing that really struck me when I was making notes for this was we have to discuss the end music, the Lonely Man theme, which is that incredibly <laughs> kind of moving, tear-jerking piano piece as David Banner, I keep nearly calling him Bruce, is walking away trying to hitch a ride at the end while Ted Cassidy's voiceover says about how You know, some kind of philosophical moral about how society will reject those that don't reject society or whatever. And it is amazing that it's like the same way you mentioned The Prisoner and people will know Patrick McGowan chased by a big white balloon. If you play that music to people somehow, even if they've never seen it, they know that's from The Hulk. I remember when it was used at the end of an episode of this morning with Richard Not Judy, the Stuart Lee and Richard Herring series, Mm. thinking at that point, wow, it's amazing. People just know that music is a reference point. They don't even need to say what it is, but still now they do. And that is astonishing for what was basically, I know it was big, but in its context, it was no bigger than, say, Street Hawk or Simon and Simon in terms of the view of the TV industry. And for it to have lasted that long, that is remarkable, really.
1: This is the thing about it. I mean, like... Like you said before, I've gone back and I've had a look at The Amazing Spider-Man. I've had a look at Doctor Strange. And when I've gone back, I've gone, oh, do you know what? This is actually fairly substandard stuff. I've gone back to The Hulk and I was expecting, you know, special effects of of the time. The pacing of the time is always going to be a bit sort of shonky these days. I was not expecting this thing to be good. And it is actually good. (laughs) Bill Bixby is really good. He's really moving. He feels like he's having real human feelings. (laughs) (laughs) you <laughs> Lou Ferrigno is I mean he's not given a lot to work with to be fair he doesn't even do the roars himself does he but you get a real sense of it's actually not a bad acting job you're getting from Lou Ferrigno. okay he's meant to be you know this he's basically playing a toddler and he's playing it really well
0: yes I'd agree with that And I think one thing that really comes across is apparently they had a really strong rapport and obviously you know Bill Bixby had been a big star and things like he was in My Favourite Martian The Magician something called The Courtship of Eddie's Father where I've read the Wikipedia page for that a couple of times I still don't understand what it was but Luther he'd been Mr Universe and he's in Pumping Iron the Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary but he'd not really acted but he always says Bill Bixby really you know to everyone else on the set he was kind of just the guy who got painted green and went and did the stunts and so on but Bill Bixby really tried to encourage him as an actor and he found a sort of niche afterwards as he tried to do sort of more roles like this like he was in a disastrous Hercules film that didn't work work. Mm -hmm. But he then found this kind of character. He was in things like, for example, King of Queens, the sitcom, as this sort of, he's developed this philosophical big guy. You know, somebody you would expect to be dense and a bruiser, but actually is the thinker in situations. And he does that really well. And it's just really nice that because one person encouraged him, he's found that
1: career path. I get the impression that Bill Bixby was quite a special guy. From everything I've read about him, you know, he's just a really sort of generous and thoughtful guy. But as a real professional As well I think that comes across I think that comes across In the humanity Of him as David Banner He feels like A decent man Who's caught up in What are pretty Tragic circumstances And that sort of Mirrors his actual life Because he had an awful From like the mid-70s Onwards His life was just Tragic he lost his son His wife Committed suicide He had Prostate cancer It just had this Awful This awful period Of about, about 15 years Which more or less Coincides with him starring in the Hulk.
0: But you are right, he is tremendous. And the really surprising thing, I mean, don't get me wrong, it turned into a sort of a formulated show eventually, but in a good way, because you knew what you were expecting. You get a few Hulk outs, there'd always be usually a woman in peril from the bad guys while he was tied up in the yard, and then he turned into the <laughs> Hulk and rescued her. But the pace is amazing, the direction is amazing. Even in that pilot, which is double length, mm. it doesn't feel slow. It's like the one criticism I would make, having really watch quite a lot of it recently is you now i think about in america they say the film on the sound stage and this yeah. sometimes it actually is a sound stage it's like really obvious it's a stage and everything's to be really echoey it's like you know people have kind of a nerve sneering at doctor who from around that time for having whatever it is rubber balls and cardboard monsters whereas a lot of american tv had that kind of i don't want to say falseness because that is undermining the actual quality of the programs you're selling them short but there was an extent that in a different way you knew it was tv to you know sort of blake seven having fairy liquid bottle guns (laughs) it's (laughs) like the other side of the coin it was maybe a little too slick and it just comes across sometimes as should we bother going all the way to the big well equipped studio no let's do in that dairy there
1: Yeah, I think that's it. I think these things always look better when they're on like film stock or they're on NTSC rather than PAL, you know, because it just looks better. It looks more shonky because our resolution was better. You no, know, I loved that pilot. At the beginning, it's a really hard watch. It's like the beginning of Up. I say it's like the beginning of Up, it's sort of crossed a little bit with the relationship montage from The Naked Gun. <laughs> got that kind of thing. The other thing I noticed about David Banner is this is a guy who really needs to take more care driving because he has two blowouts yes. in eleven months. Yeah. Because he has the first blowout, which kills his wife. And then the second blowout, which leads to his first transformation into Luferigno in a fright wig. And, yeah, he just needs to take a little more care. And so do we all. So do we all. But also the fact that the strength of the Incredible Hulk is such a huge thing. And you can see that strength in Luferigno when he wrecks a camp. Like, at one point, he picks up a rucksack and he throws it. And then he knocks over a tent. And you think, that sort of level of strength is not the sort of thing that, you know, a normal man could possibly do. Well, we haven't
0: mentioned the third lead figure in this, who is actually involved in the other thing people know about this without ever having seen it, which is, don't make me angry, you won't like me when I'm angry. Mm. It's obviously Jack McGee, who is a reporter, who is determined for some reason, as if he's Woodward and Bernstein, is pursuing the Hulk, as if somehow he's going to win some kind of Pulitzer Prize yeah, God knows what he's subsisting on during this time while he's crisscrossing across the whole of America, following a vague
1: hunch. Now this is the thing—he's not trying to prove that David Banner is the Hulk. He doesn't. He has no idea. In fact, he thinks that David Banner is dead. He thinks that the Hulk killed David Banner and Dr. Elena Marks, who's played by Susan Sullivan, who was also really good in this. She's, you know, she's thrown away in the pilot and she dies and you know you never see her again. And I'd love to have seen that relationship sort of develop as the show went on but you know what do i know i was only an eight-year-old kid he's actually the one who causes the accident that leads to the death of elena marx so i don't know i wonder if there's a part of him that realizes oh yeah i probably caused that explosion they really did enjoy the fugitive that tv series the fugitive is a real influence on this you know the fact that banner is moving from one city to another city a bit like littlest hobo (laughs) And, you know, that happened in The Fugitive Because, you know, it was a fugitive And The Fugitive, of course, was pursued by Barry Morse, I think it was, wasn't it? Gerard, does not it? The Tommy Lee Jones character From the movie And so, you know, if you've got a fugitive You need somebody to pursue that fugitive And so it's quite It works as continuity, really Because if you go from one situation to another situation You need the continuity You need another character to go along with them Just so that, you know, it feels like an actual series Rather than a succession of short plays.
0: And apparently I hadn't really seen him in very much else, but Jack Colvin was a very heavyweight actor. He was a, maybe a generation above the kind of Pacino De Niro school of acting, but he was, you know, the equivalent of them 10 years earlier. And yet he's best known in a rare TV role, because apparently he's mostly in theatre, oh, really? as this kind of bloke in the procession of check jackets. <laughs>
1: And he really does have that really sleazy look about him as well. He does feel like a proper sleazy journalist and I know he's a sleazy journalist so I know what I'm talking about. I think part of the beauty of it is, is, it's a bit like watching Wiley e. Coyote, you know, going after the Roadrunner. There's a part of that's slightly rooting for McGee to catch up with him. Yes, because
0: it would have been a great confrontation and part of the excitement of it was always those opening titles with Ooh. that terrifying sort of hammering piano intro to the, the speeded up version of the end theme. You know, the flashes of, the x-ray flashes used to genuinely unsettle me when it was first on. The speed of the cutting, it's almost like strobe lights. And there's the, you know, the Famous sort of disagreement between the two of them in the opening title. So yeah, it might have worked better with a bit more payoff, really.
1: I mean, there was an episode where, because obviously, because of the nature of the show, they don't really, they never really share scenes with each other. But there was an episode where they're in some sort of accident, and this is the point at which McGee finds out that the Hulk actually transforms from a man into the Hulk, and basically Banner has to go across the country with McGee, but Banner is covered in. Banner. Bandages, so McGee never knows who he is. (laughs) But every so often, you know, obviously he transforms into the Hulk, and the bandages rip him. We never quite work out where these bandages come from again. Next time he appears, maybe they're hanging on the washing line with all the other clothes that he seems to steal.
0: Well, we do have to address the fact that, as we've alluded to repeatedly, because we've kept nearly calling him Bruce, he is yeah. David Bruce Banner in this. Apparently the reason is, again, it's one of those things that it's difficult to get to the bottom of because everybody's version of it is slightly different. But as I understand it, Kenneth Johnson, who is, for want of a better word, the showrunner on it, didn't like comics. He wanted to make it as unlike the Comicship Hulk as possible. Apparently he claimed he was influenced by Les Miserables, which I'm not quite sure
1: well, like, I don't know. McGee is just following him, following Jean Valjean. I don't know, I can see it. There's
0: not enough songs in it, really. No. <laughs> but he initially didn't want the Hulk talking because he wanted it to be different than comics. But when Stan Lee was told that, instead of rejecting the idea, as Stan Lee would normally have done, and he did resist other changes, like he wanted to make the Hulk red, apparently, and he said, absolutely not. But <laughs> he had apparently independently been worried about how Hulk smash would sound on television. <laughs> and I think he was right there. I know they found a way in the MCU of making, you know, giving him few but effective lives like Quinjet and Puny God, which work. But I think it was the right decision. But also, again, to make it different, he wanted to limit the Hulk's abilities, which actually, I think, makes it a bit more. You know, if he did sort of the thunderclaps and the bounding and so on, I think it would have taken away from the plot lines quite a lot. Because <laughs> he wasn't ever battling the leader or anything. No. <laughs> or Goom. It was always just, you know, crooked Businessmen and so on And mobsters So he would have Finished them off Before the first outbreak, break And Bruce Forsyth's Big night would have Had to have started
1: That is true And I think Obviously you know The very small scale Stories Sort of stories That you know You can sort of Solve by having Somebody who's a bit Stronger than everybody else But then What I found is That the stories That stick out in my mind The ones that I remember Are the ones that Really lent into The science fiction There's a two part episode Called Prometheus Where changes into the Hulk when he's near a radioactive meteorite. And he changes back and forth, back and forth, all of a sudden. And then he's frozen in the midpoint between Banner and Hulk. And through that episode, I think he's played by some sort of wrestler. I can't remember. Basically, he's brutish, but can still speak. I remember being absolutely terrified by that. I mean, fascinated, but terrified. Because this sort of half-Banner, half-Hulk character was really quite scary. (laughs) So there's that one. And then there's also an episode called The First... Where it's alluded to earlier on in the series that there have been hulks before the Hulk. Oh, don't they find sort
0: of remnants of one?
1: Yeah, sort of Native American Hulk. But then later on, they do find an actual guy who used to turn into a hulk. Who regains his powers and fights against our modern day Hulk? Actually, the guy who played the Hulk in that was Dick Durock, who was a Swamp Thing. So he's obviously got a thing for huge shambling green monsters. <laughs> but again, episodes are quite scary because you know you're never really scared that the Hulk was going to come to any sort of harm, but you put a Hulk up against another Hulk, and this is a Hulk who's, who's fairly evil. All of a sudden, you are quite they were the episodes really stick in my mind as a kid.
0: But as we say, they weren't really kind of adjacent to what happened in the comics and that does bring me back on to the reason according to Kenneth Johnson that he changed it from Bruce Banner to David Bruce Banner was that he felt alliterative names were too much of a Marvel thing <laughs> you know, so I suppose you got Peter Parker, Reed Richards, Stephen Strange but beyond that Sue Storm actually as well but beyond that it becomes Matt a Murdoch. little bit Matt Murdock there's another one but there are many more that aren't but apparently that was the reason but this is where it gets really murky he claims himself that he told the cast and Stan Lee that it was because the name Bruce had gay connotations... Lou though has backed that up because he said he was livid about it but I don't get that because Bruce Springsteen was already a thing by then you know at that point I don't think there was a better example of macho America than this guy with the guitar singing about the steelworks shutting down
1: exactly Oh, you know Bruce Wayne I mean who could be more manly than the 1960s Batman I'm sorry
0: so I mean that's all very weird but it did result in a show that worked so what do we know
1: well this is it as well the issue I had with the other adaptations was that they lost the heart of what makes these characters interesting spider-man has got no that sense of responsibility that spider-man has or or humor yeah or humor or the arrogance of doctor strange all that stuff is gone what kenneth Johnston did with the incredible hulk tv show is he stripped away everything that is extraneous Everything that is absolutely not needed in the Hulk. And he said, at the core, you know, the Hulk is a curse and anger is a curse. And that's at the core of the character in the comic books. And that's at the core of this TV show. And he's actually got, you know, he's got it right. You know, the banner is cursed. He does not want to become the Hulk. And why would you want to become the Hulk? And he was always searching for a cure in the comic books and he's searching for a cure in this that's it he's a decent man who through an accident with gamma radiation has become this hulking brute and that is the Hulk that's the Hulk in the comic books that's the Hulk in the TV show when you boil Banner and the Hulk down that's what they are
0: well that's also why the late 80s revival with the TV movies did not really work because they tried to bring other characters into it and well we'll start with The Incredible Hulk Returns has kind of an Escaped fighting fantasy figure crossed with somebody from the Grunhalla Lager adverts who is apparently Thor, who isn't even an Asgardian god, he's sort of the spirit of a Viking king, but I will be fair to it, one thing I did like was they do actually use Donald Blake as his kind of human disguise, whereas I think the nearest we've got to that in the MCU is a name badge for Donald Blake. (laughs) Thor put on. So, I mean, there is that, but I didn't recognise that Thor at all.
1: No, not at all. None of the nobility of Thor.
0: Just overall, it doesn't work. Then we get the trial of the Incredible Hulk, which has got Rex Smith, TV Street Hawk, as Matt Murdock, in the Black Ninja outfit, which is an interesting Mm -hmm. choice for that point. But also, (laughs) we have got Kingpin and the White Turk (laughs) Barrett.
1: Which is impressive. In some sort of weird city, which is obviously Vancouver, but is not New York and is never referred to as New York, which seems like a very weird choice for Daredevil. Other than that, you know, though, it's a fairly faithful adaptation of Daredevil.
0: It is, but if you played it next to the proper MCU Daredevil, it's quite bad. Although it's it's got the first ever Stan Lee cameo because he's a juror in it. He is.
1: He is a juror in it.
0: And it's also a misnomer because the Hulk isn't actually on trial, David Banner.
1: And also, actually, that scene where Stan Lee is on the jury is a dream. It's a dream sequence. So he doesn't actually appear in court. The whole thing is that he doesn't want to appear in court because he knows that if he's in the witness box, he'll be so outraged, he'll turn into the Hulk. And that's the whole thing. He just does not want to be in the witness box, which, you know, I kind of get. That Daredevil suit, that black ninja costume, actually predates the comic book. And there's a suggestion that when Frank Miller and John Romita Jr. introduced that costume in the comic books. They were taking a cue from that Daredevil outfit.
0: Although one thing that surprised me really is how little Jack McGee has been used in the comics. It's mm. Often little more than the name and yet most characters are invented for other media where they couldn't, they needed an extra character or they couldn't use one like Firestar like Herbie the Robot, like the extra Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. have been very prominently brought into the comics but Jack McGee never really has. I wonder if it is a rights Thing because he would still be owned by Universal.
1: Well, it's possible, but the only thing I would say against that is the fact that the character mentioned before about the original Hulk in the show is a guy called Del Fry, and they have introduced in the past few years Del Fry into the Hulk into the Hulk comic books. So I don't know. Maybe nobody's noticed. Let's hope nobody's listening to this.
0: <laughs> we won't like him when he's in the comics. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> We don't want to cause more trouble between Marvel and Universal.
0: But. Speaking of rights issues between Marvel and Universal, the death of the Incredible Hulk was originally supposed to have not only She Hulk, who was originally invented. I mean, they would have done She Hulk anyway because they were doing Spider-Woman, etc., around that point. But Stan Lee was suddenly concerned that the TV show might introduce a female Hulk and he wanted to get there first and have the rights. So originally, She Hulk wasn't afraid to be in it, but also Iron Man. Now I am really glad they did not try to do Iron Man in 1989. Wow.
1: <laughs> it would look
0: like the Hello Tosh got a Toshiba rabbit
1: <laughs> It would look like one of the Shogun warriors Wouldn't it? That's what it'd end up looking like You'd just got a guy basically dressed up in plastic that would not work, would it? And there were plans for a further
0: one where I mean, the death of the Incredible Hulk is sort of metaphorical in that it sort of ends with he's not sure whether Bruce has been fatally injured or not. But he kind of says, I'm free, I'm free of him. And there was going to be another one where it turned out, oh, no, he was fine after all. And look, <laughs> the Hulk's back as well. But that didn't happen. But they're not hard especially they're not bad for tv movies but they did sort of seem to set the tone that the majority of movies based on marvel characters would go down until i was going to say until the first iron man film you know until the mcu started proper but i think there's a lot that blade got right and the x-men and of course the spider-man films as well but you know even after them there were so many things like Nicolas cage in ghost rider where it was like they had all of the dots in place but they couldn't join them
1: you have to take the source material seriously you don't have to take the contents of it completely seriously but what you have to think about when you're making one of these things and i'm speaking from my vast experience of making these things obviously when you're making these things you have to take into account what made these things popular in the first place why is this an intellectual property that i want to exploit why do people like this Why do people like The Incredible Hulk Why do people like Spider-Man If you don't understand that Then you're never going to make A decent adaptation You know And at that point You can make all the changes That you feel you need to make Because it's for TV Or because You're making a Spider-Man movie You want the Green Goblin Then you definitely Tie their origins In with each other Because otherwise It's just a bit weird You know That's what you have to do You have to start From the position Where you understand Why these characters Are beloved And if you don't do that Then you might as well Just make Make up your own guy and put your own costume on him and do whatever you like and it'll be another Hancock won't it. But it is testament to how well they did with
0: this and how seriously even if they disregarded a lot of the source material they took the character was that there's so many nods towards it in the Marvel Cinematic Universe particularly one of the strengths of that very first Hulk movie is that things like you know you've got the opening titles sort of mirror the opening titles of the Incredible Hulk series, the theme appears a couple of times you know the closing theme jack mcgee appears talking to jim wilson in one scene you know which is another bizarre character to bring in and they've never done anything else with us you won't like me when i'm hungry now there are all these references to it and then in she hulk we get the episode that starts with the opening of the second tv series the savage she hulk Oh, yes. it's it displays a being angry by responding to trolls online <laughs> and there's that stump woman in a huge wig painted green. Oh, yeah. Somehow still looks enough like Tatiana Masani does as She-Hulk in the programme for it to be that good a joke. I think that really, really works. I was so thrilled with that piece because I just wasn't expecting to have it that front and centre. I really love that. And it showed, again, just how much this is cemented in popular culture. Oh,
1: yeah, absolutely. It's such a great sequence. But I actually just properly laughing when that came on i I mean i love the she hold tv show anyway i think it's excellent i think it's had some really awful and unfair criticism (laughs) from people who don't really understand the character of the She-Hulk, but, you know, I'm sure that's another episode. (laughs) I was just going to say about, yeah, you were saying about things from the TV show that have gone into the movies. Actually as well, the Culver Institute, which is where David Banner works in the show, becomes Culver University in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. A lovely little tie back to, you know, what is still probably the Hulk that people think of when they think of the Hulk.
0: Well, that does bring me neatly into my closing question, which is... Um, Harry yeah. Igno, who was the Hulk in *The Incredible Hulk*, was also a security guard in the Marvel Cinematic Universe *The Incredible Hulk*. So, who was best? One of the eats two pizzas, if that helps.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, as Ed Norton says to the guy who eats two pizzas, "You the man." And in a very real sense, he be the man. He loves being a security guard. That guy, doesn't he? He's a security guard in the Angli Hulk as well. Yes, he is. <laughs> There must be something about that man that just makes other people feel really secure. <laughs> and I, I I wish I had that about myself. But so, you
0: know. we would like him when he was angry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we would like him when he was angry. But <laughs> on our side. Gary,
0: thank you and excelsior. Thanks, sir. If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can find more editions of It's Good, except it sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book, Can't Help Thinking About Me, at timworthington.org.